taking your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. The reading comes in the last paragraph, verses 28 through 34. After the message, we will go to the Lord's Supper, and then afterwards, we will close with our final hymn. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 28. Let me read, and then we will pray. God's word. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the, of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do pray that it would please you to help us tonight. Help us receive your word as read and as preached as the very word of God. We pray that we would recognize your authority speaking therein, that we, Father, by your spirit, would bring our own hearts and minds and wills to heal, to heed, to yield to your word, believing it unto our great joy, believing it unto all our duties, to the praise, to the honor of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in this passage we are looking at tonight, you may recognize something familiar about it, and you may think, is that the passage I know? There seems to be some missing parts. Well, Matthew is reporting on something that is also reported by Luke and Mark, but Matthew reports on it with the greatest economy of speech. He leaves much out, much that you will find in Mark 5 is not here, but it is the same event. This is the demoniac who in another place gives his name as Legion. And we continue in this section of Matthew's gospel where the Lord Jesus's power and authority over all things, the natural world, disease, and the demonic powers is being demonstrated to be incomparable unmatched by anything. This is what Matthew is setting before the church again and again after report after report, piling high before us, an inescapable conclusion. 
There is no one like this Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. Now, it will take until Matthew 14 before the disciples themselves make that confession. Here in Matthew 8, the demons make it. The disciples will make it after they see Jesus walking on top of water and getting in their boat at the end of Matthew 14. But Matthew is setting it before us. He's catechizing us. He's instructing us. He's revealing to us who the Lord Jesus is, the divine Son, incomparable in power and authority. Well, let's look again at this passage more closely. Verse 28, when he came to the other side, this refers back to them getting in the boat in Caesarea and escaping the crowds, and they are now come to the other side, which is the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And here Matthew tells us they have come to the region of the Gadarenes, and there two demon-possessed men come out to meet him, coming out from the tombs. They come out from an unclean place, the place where dead bodies are buried. And these are fierce men, not because of their own disposition, but because of their disposition under the possession of demons. And they are so fierce, Matthew says, no one could pass that way. Now, a word or two about the location. This region is known as the Decapolis, It's a word that literally means the ten cities. The Decapolis was a league of ten, sometimes up to fourteen cities that were all committed to a Hellenistic and Roman culture. They were east of Palestine, very prominent, very successful. These ten cities had banded together for reasons of security. Security against their Semitic neighbors. They thought a league of cities would have them farewell. Now, Gadara was the original capital of this league, which I think explains Matthew's citation. Later, the capital became Damascus, which was, as you know, a city to the north, the capital of Syria. This league of ten cities survived until the second century A.D., where it then slowly fell apart. Now, what Matthew wants us to anticipate by the time we get to the end of this verse 28 is that by coming into the Decapolis region, a a Greek area, a Roman area, by coming into this region, Jesus is entering a hornet's nest of demonic activity. Matthew has has already reported on a few exorcisms. But now Jesus is coming into a place where the demons are as thick as thieves and multiplied as hornets. If there is going to be any successful opposition to Jesus of Nazareth, it will be here. That is the purpose of bringing us to the Decapolis. What Matthew, excuse me, Matthew's already shown us that there are two men Two men possessed by demons, and simply seeing this number two might not adequately express to us the level of danger and the level of power that our Lord is about to face from these two. 
So Matthew is going to help us a little bit to clear this up for us. And he helps us by telling us these demons were so fierce that people had to stop walking through this area to get to locations that were beyond it. They would take a detour to circumvent this area where the demons, the demon-possessed men were hiding among tombs. And apparently the demons would come out and torment passersby, perhaps beat them, perhaps try to steal from them, do anything to assert fear and control over the people. Now, the demons had not only brought desolation on the two lives they were possessing, but according to verse 28, they had extended deliberately their desolation to the region they inhabited. And this is a very important thing, which we're going to come back to. We're going to come back to it in a moment to see what demons want to create. Now, I want to go one step further, though, before we do that, and show you how Matthew wants us to get a true inventory of the power and the danger of those who oppose Jesus in the Decapolis. Verses 30, 31, and 32 all speak about this large herd of pigs. Now, that should tip us off that we are certainly in Gentile territory. Pigs are unclean animals to Jews. The reason there is a pig farmer or several pig farmers in this region is because they are not Jews. And the reason the herd of pigs is identified as large or many by Matthew is so that we would understand exactly how much demonic power dwells in two men. When the demons are commanded by Jesus to go, they fill this herd of pigs and the herd rushes off a cliff. Mark tells us in his gospel that there were almost 2,000 pigs that rushed off the cliff. The pigs jumping off the cliff, controlled and possessed by demons, really are meant to show us two things. Meant to show us how lustful demons are for the destruction of creation, and to show us that a true exorcism has been, has taken place by the instrument of what? In the English, a two-letter word. Go. A demonstration of incomparable authority. One against 2,000 and one with one word. Now, before we move again, Past verse 28, I want to go back to what I mentioned a moment ago and look again at the world that demons and their master, the devil, want to create. We see at the end of verse 28, it is a world of desolation. They are tormenting passersby, and the circle of their torment has broadened, and people are walking further and further away from this area. That might seem like a small little geographical fact, but it is actually a revelation of the culture, of the community, of the polis, which is a Greek word for city, that demons wish to create. The text says they were so fierce, no one could pass that way. That's what demons want to do with mankind. They want to use whatever power they have to destroy all that is good, 
and all that is holy and all that is humane in God's world. Demons don't build hospitals. Demons don't fill libraries. Demons don't plant churches. Well, we'll come to that. I may have spoken too soon. Now, there are two places in Scripture where we can see, and there are several, but I'm just choosing two tonight. There are two places in Scripture where we see an expansion, an exposition of what these demons have done in expanding their area of desolation in the Gadarenes. One of these places is in the church of Jesus Christ. And the other is outside the church of Jesus Christ. In Luke 11, you get to hear the Lord Jesus himself describe the desolation that the devil and his demons have brought to the church of God. Listen to it. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, lawyers also, church lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Beloved, what you just heard is the desolation of demonic power at work in the visible church of God. Because our Lord Jesus says to these same Pharisees and lawyers in John chapter 8, that their father is the devil, that they are the offspring of the devil. Do you see and hear the desolation Jesus sees that they have wrought? They have made the church a place that is barren of conversions, barren of the message of salvation. It is a harem for their pleasures, They load the people with burdens that they can't bear. And it makes the people hate the God that the Pharisees name. So Paul says in Romans, you have even brought the Gentiles to blaspheme God because of you. Now the other passage outside of the church where you get to see the same expanding desolation of demonic activity is in Revelation 18 in the fall of Babylon, which is a description of the world system organized and opposed to God's Christ. Listen to it. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, 
lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The world system, in its ordered and organized opposition to Christ, is a haunt for demons that brings desolation upon those it gives pleasure to. You should read the rest of Revelation 18 to get a grasp of the Lord Jesus' own interpretation of the world in its opposition to God. And ask yourself, are you afraid or ashamed to say that that's exactly what the world is when it's organized against God's Christ? I simply wanted you to see tonight, briefly, using the, way, using the words of verse 29, that the devils of this world are interested in destruction alone. Destroy children, destroy divine institutions like marriage, destroy everything that is good about creation. That is their interest. Now, we move on to verse 29. We don't have much to do with verse 30, 31, and 32 tonight, because I've already spoken to it as it concerns the pigs. But we do have something to do with verse 29. And behold, they cried out. It's the two men who are speaking, but it is the demons who are asserting and asking these questions. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, the demons say two things here we want to take notice of, two questions. First, they confess Jesus as the divine Son of heaven, the Son of God. Now, notice, in that confession, it doesn't lead them to bow down and worship him. It's an interesting confession. They confess him as Son of God, but they do not worship. They believe Jesus is who he really is. But their belief is not a converting belief, is it? They actually hate him for being who he is. They hate that he has authority and power that exceeds their own, and it exceeds their own by an incomparable measure. They hate that he has entered territory they thought was theirs to possess the nation's. They hate that they will have to yield completely to his will and completely to his control. They know him to be who he is, but they hate him for being who he is. And beloved, we must mark this faith of the demons because this is the faith of hatred. This is not a converting faith. This is not the faith of love. Love for Christ. As James says, even the demons believe and shudder. James tells the church that because we ourselves in the assembly of God could have an unconverted faith. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but we really disdain him for being the Son of God. Because we don't want to be controlled. We don't want to be ruled. And so he says to all, 
Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look what I have done with my power. I have suffered for your sins. Do you fear such power? Now, second, the demons not only confess Jesus as the divine son, they ask a question about why he is coming now. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, the way the demons phrase that question reveals exactly what they are expecting. They're expecting torment. What is then the time of torment that they are expecting? It is the time our Lord Jesus, in fact, spoke of on Palm Sunday. Do you remember it? As he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, by the time that day ended, he said these words. This is in John chapter 12, verse 30. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is saying that the time has come for him to judge the ruler of this world, who is the devil. And what is about to happen that proves the time has come? Christ the King is going to the cross. He speaks of his death in John 12, 30, and 31. He speaks of what his death will accomplish in relation to the domain of Satan and his demons. They will be cast out. His death for sinners will result in his enthronement as king, and his enthronement by way of death will break the rule of Satan over the darkened nations of the earth. The world enslaved to sin will be breached. The world enslaved to sin will be invaded, will be overrun by the authority and grace of Jesus Christ. And the demons of the Gadarenes are getting a foretaste of that victory, of that day, of that new covenant era. The demons who roamed free over the nations are now to be brought into binding judgment. Christ the King is coming to ransack the realms of darkness. As Revelation 20 says, Satan is bound for a millennium. We are in that age right now. Christ is coming to ransack realms of darkness. So let us understand what he is saying in John 12, 30, which is, in fact, quite parallel to this question from the demons in verse 29 tonight. He's going to the cross, he says, to draw to himself, to gather to himself, to call to himself the prisoners and the slaves of the old ruler of this world, the devil. Jesus has come to liberate those prisoners, liberate them not with education, not with technology, not with an app, not with economics, Liberate them not with social services. Jesus is saying in John 12, 30 and 31, that I will liberate enslaved sinners by shedding my blood for them. I will pay off the penalty 
of their sins, my elect church. And doing so at the cross will remove every legitimate accusation the devil has against us to lay claim to us for eternal death. So the time of torment in verse 29 is God's judgment on sin and Satan at the cross. There, the strong man is bound and his house is plundered. Matthew 12, 29. There, the gates of hell can no longer prevail. They are being breached. Matthew 16, 18. There, the great dragon, the accuser, is thrown down to the earth. Revelation 12, 9. It is all bad news for Satan. And the demons anticipate it. They know it's coming. And Calvin may be right. Not because they got a look in the Lord's day planner, but because they know, Calvin says, that they are wicked and that they love wickedness. And coming with that knowledge, the demons also know they deserve God's judgment. All of it is bad news for Satan. Good news for the elect church of God that has been a people in darkness who will now see a great light, the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, quickly to the end of the passage. The Lord Jesus gives the command, go one word by one man against thousands of demons. But look what happens in verse 33. The pig farmers fled. They go into the city. They report what has happened. They report what has happened to the demon-possessed men. All the city comes out, so the crowd is now even larger. And they meet Jesus, and when they see him, they beg him to leave their region. What is this about? Beloved, this too is a revelation to us. Without the effectual call of God, men can even see the power, the great power of God, but not recognize its source. They see a greater power than that which possessed the two men. They see a greater power than that which possessed 2,000 pigs. They see a greater power in this one man, Jesus of Nazareth, but they cannot see that it is the power of God. And so they beg him to leave. They now fear him with the same fear they once had to the other power that was in the tombs among the demoniacs. It is a testimony to us that simply witnessing the power of God, whether it be in the sunrise, whether it be in the birth of a baby, whether it be in anything of creation or any miracle testified by apostles and prophets, simply witnessing the power of God is not enough. Our hearts are so defiant until the effectual call comes and liberates us. How great should be our joy that we have not only seen the power of God 
in the divine Son of God. But we have seen that this power is toward and for us in our salvation. That is the lesson of Matthew 8, 28 through 34. May God spare us from being the sophisticated unbelievers at the end of this passage who fear power but do not rest in it. Christ, the power of God, the power of salvation. Christ, the rest of the soul of sinners. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you and praise you for this simple exposition of the great power of your beloved Son, that he indeed is about the business of ransacking the nations that once were under the power of the devil. They were left under such power by your will as you set a great light in Israel. But even there, men languished under the power of the devil, even in high offices of your church. Lord, we praise you, we thank you, that Jesus Christ has come and extracted us from behind enemy's lines and has given us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. Lord, what a great mercy to us. For surely the best we would have done is feared every display of power. But Lord, we thank you that you have opened our eyes to see the demonstration of the great power of humiliation in the suffering servant of the Lord. Father, keep us in this grace. Keep us in this salvation. Keep us in this joy so that we would not fear. In Jesus' name, amen.